Bienvenue, Kanichiwa. Just had a bit of a panic there, thinking the stream wasn't going out. That's what the delay was all about. But we're here and happy to be here. Welcome to Arms Inquisition yet again, episode 241 on the 31st of July, 2022. Mm. I've got some background interference. Oh my god, it's all going wrong tonight. So we have two weeks off, and this is what happens. Good grief. Panic over. Relax. I'm Amish Phil. I'm Amish Ben. And uh, we're going to be taking a, uh, a trip through revisionist... <laughs> what's up? I'm not Ralph. Ra- oh my gosh, what's going on? What's going on? How have, you got, how have you got mixed up? You've got Ralph. <laughs> All right. Great, great. <laughs> how have you managed that? I don't know. Science. <laughs> Ignore um, why. I don't know why Ben is there. I shall sort this out uh, momentarily. But uh, <laughs> thanks for joining us. And uh, we've got Ralph Ellis with us. How are you doing, Ralph? <laughs> Very well, thanks, uh, Phil. Good to see you, Ben. Or, or should I call you Ralph? <laughs> Whatever you like. <laughs> Honestly, I'll leave you two for two minutes while I set the stream going and you're swapping Zoom around and confusing me. Oh, my God. Giddy aunt. Well, as we were saying, Ralph, Ralph, you're an author, you're a historian, um, a grand heretic of of all sorts of stripes, whether it's, you know, Old Testament, New Testament, climate change, all the rest of it. And um, as I was saying before, your books span such a huge period of time that... We're a bit stuffed, really, to get through it all in any any you know, <laughs> unless we're going to keep recording till you know the early hours of the of the morning. So, I thought it would be a good idea to go to the start, if you like, to the Garden of Eden, to the late Bronze Age, mm. and sort of give us an idea of like your work in this area, what discoveries you've made, and um, how your work differs from what. I guess people would describe as the mainstream historical narrative that we're all taught. Yeah. So, um, yes, Ralph Ellis. I'm a bit of a polymath, you know, um, I've been at this a long time. I've been doing this for 40 years or so started when I was 14. I just had an interest in this for some reason. Don't know why. Um, and written, I don't know, 12 books, 13 books. I can't remember now. It's getting too many. Um, on basically revisionary um, theology, I call it, because I'm looking at this from a very different perspective. I'm looking at this from a Gnostic atheist uh, perspective. So I'm looking at the history, uh, not the uh, religion. And so it gives me sort of an opportunity to look at this with fresh eyes and see if I can find 
any real history in it because the problem uh, with all of the biblical texts, actually, whether you're looking at Old Testament or New Testament, is it's, um, it's missing from the historical record. I mean, it's just not there. Uh, and, you know, a long time ago, I realized that really there should be some, some history here. I mean, it, it sort of reads historical, some of this stuff. So we're either looking in the wrong era or perhaps in the wrong location. And there's been a variety of, of those. Sometimes we're looking in the wrong era, sometimes the wrong location. And, um, yeah, we can look at um, Genesis, but I didn't start with Genesis because I never thought I would ever find anything historical in Genesis. I mean, it just mm. reads like mythology, basically. Mm. Um, but after researching this and writing about five books already, I suddenly found there were sort of many links with the Amarna dynasty of Pharaoh Akhenaten and Nefertiti. Um, so, I mean, the first one that stood out, of course, is the description of Eden, where um, the, a river flows through um, the garden, and from thence it is parted and becomes four branches. Well, that's a very particular river, you know, to do that. There's not many rivers that do do that. And the only one in that region that actually does that is the Nile. Uh -huh. It runs through the um, strip oasis uh, of Egypt itself. And then it gets to Cairo and it branches off and it, it becomes four branches. Oh, right. Because um, it's like the White Nile and the Blue Nile and... Yes, is that what but when it gets up? to the um, uh, when it gets to the other end, when it gets to the delta, it splits up, and in, in ancient history, it used to split into four. Right. Now it only splits into two, but anyway, it used to split into four, and so that's a very very good description of the River Nile. Mm. And so I had already done a lot of work on the Old Testament, so I knew the sort of links that I was looking at. And the basic uh, premise was that the Genesis story, which reads as a historical, is actually a copy of the hymn to the Arten by Pharaoh Akhenaten himself. He was supposed to have written it himself. And the hymn to the Arten is, is a hymn to the dawn of the new day. But in the biblical story, someone has in, in, interpreted this as being a, a Genesis, you know, uh, a creation epic, but it wasn't. And so we have this epic about uh the the creation story creating man and woman all the rest of it but the details are fairly specific we have a man and a woman who are always naked standing in the garden of the e eton or the eden and of course that's exactly what akhenaten and nefertiti did if you look at their imagery they're always naked are uh, strolling around in the garden of the Arten. And the Arten is their god. It was called the Arten, or actually we should really pronounce it as being the Eton, uh, a bit like the old public school. It was the Eton or the Eden. It was spelt in the hieroglyphic. And so they had a garden of the Eton. That was their garden of the gods. All of these pharaohs used to make a garden to the gods, which was a walled garden, a bit like you would have at a country house. Uh, which in, if you go across to uh, Persia, it's known as a paradise. That's oh, yeah. where we get the word from. And so there was a garden of, of the Eton, and that was at Amarna in central uh, Egypt. Um, and that is why the god of the Israelites is called the Arden, 
or the Aten. So their god has supposed to be only one god, of course, but he has many names. He's El, Elohim, uh, Allah. He's called uh, Yahweh. Uh, and he's called the Arden. Not many people mention that, but the Israelite God is called the Arden. And of course, the God of Akhenaten was called the Arden or the Arten. It's the same God name. And of course, right. remember that Akhenaten invented monotheism, uh, just uh, as the Israelites invented monotheism. There are many links between these um, two peoples. Uh, because I think that the Israelites were always resident, uh, well, resident for a long, long time in Egypt. They were Egyptians. And that, so that little epic comes from my book, uh, Eden in Egypt. But then we jump back, really, to get some perspective on this um, to the Exodus story. So if, effectively, what I'm saying is the Genesis story is out of place. Um, it actually comes later, but somebody thought it was a creation epic, epic, and so they stuffed it at the beginning of the Bible where it shouldn't really be. Editors. Yeah, yeah editors. Oh, they're the same all the time, you know. Um, what, what actually happened is there were two exoduses, so, uh, and we have this from Manetho, who was the 3rd century BC historian who, who gave us a lot of this history, uh, and he said there were two exoduses. Uh, there was a big one and a small one. And the exodus of when Akhenaten was thrown out of his new city, he went down to, he was the heretic pharaoh. Um, he was kicked out by his father, basically, because he had these strange ideas uh, about religion. And, and he formed a hippie commune and went down to Middle Egypt and, and set up a new city down there with his commune of hippies. And in Manetho, he calls them the... Um, uh, 80,000 maimed priests and lepers who set up a, a new city at the quarries on the east bank of the Nile. And, of course, that's exactly where uh, Amarna is, down in um, Middle Egypt. And, yeah, they're, they're rather missing the point here because Josephus gets all upset and says you can't have 80,000 lepers. It's just not possible. Um, he's being a bit irrational here. Quite obviously what Manetho is saying is they were theological lepers. They weren't mm -hmm. real lepers because he had this new cult of the, of the Arten. And if people don't know what the Arten is and setting up this new cult and how it would have been for Akhenaten in, uh, in Egypt, the, I mean, this is 13, 1340 BC. It's a long, long time ago. It's 3,000 yeah, uh, 3,300 years ago. So it's quite a long time ago. But um, if you watch uh, Wild Wild Country by Netflix, that is exactly what happened to Akhenaten. Um, so Wild Wild Country is actually a story about an um, Indian guru who set up a colony uh, in Oregon, I think it was. Anyway, he had all these followers and they all charged off into the middle of nowhere in Oregon and set up this new cult city. And the story of their rise and wealth and then the infighting and their demise is exactly the same as Akhenaten. Um, Akhenaten managed to last, I don't know what it was actually, it was probably about 20-odd 20, 20 years before it dissolved into chaos. Um, 
and they were pushed out on an exodus. Now, you'll find a lot of historians say that Akhenaten and Nefertiti died there. There is no evidence whatsoever that they died at Amarna. Uh, their tombs were never uh, used. And I think that Manitho is correct, and they were pushed out onto an exodus. And so they were pushed out of uh, Middle Egypt. And of course, when they had to go on this exodus, um, they had to put clothes on. They had to cover up exactly the same as uh, Adam and Eve. And so, and that becomes pertinent to the the story when we um, come to the uh, religion of Jesus later on, which we might talk about in another show. But that was the small exodus. That was the exodus of Akhenaten and Nefertiti and his 80,000 maimed priests and lepers when they got pushed out of Amarna. And was that uh, the the like more established priesthoods at Thebes and other cities that forced them out? Yeah, well, he closed them all down, of course. This is why they hated him, because yeah. he was a heretic pharaoh who not only set up a commune, but he obviously gained control over the army. And he shut down all of the um, main temples. And so the, the, the standard temples to uh, Amun and all of the other standard gods of Egypt yeah. had all been closed down for 10 or more years. And that's why they wanted to get rid of him, of course, because they lost their temples, they lost their jobs, they lost their prestige within uh, society, and they wanted him gone. Mm. And they finally got rid of him, pushed him out. Um, so yes, the, he became the heretic pharaoh, and his name was cut out um, all across Egypt. Nobody knew about him for uh, until the 1800s, you know, just 200 years ago, and then people started finding evidence of of Akhenaten. He, he, his name had been cut out from across the land. Wow, and presumably the Armada letters reference him a lot, seen as he set up the place. Yeah. Yeah, and that's and a, they, they do. That's a very recent discovery. Yeah, recent discovery. Yeah. So we actually know quite a lot about Amarna because it was abandoned. Right. Yeah. It's ironic. It, it is. Yeah. Um, that the whole place, nobody ever lived there again. It was just abandoned. Mm. It was destroyed, and anything that was there survived because no one lived there again. And so things like the bust of Nefertiti, which you probably know from the Berlin Museum, yeah. was still lying there under the dust. You know. Um, it obviously been left completely, not even destroyed, and it was sitting on a shelf, and eventually the shelf rotted away, and all of those busts just dropped to the floor, and luckily they didn't get broken very much, and there they lay, and they were just sitting under the sand. Amazing. Um, yeah, so that's how uh, we managed to find out so much information about um, uh, Akhenaten. So was no um, mummies or... Uh corpses, potential bodies found for Akhenaten and Nefertiti? No, never been found. Uh, They mentioned KV-55 down in the Valley of the Kings, but I don't believe that's Akhenaten. It's too young. Um, And I think that was probably Smenkara, who was uh, the pharaoh who came after uh, Akhenaten. He only lasted about two years before Tutankhamun. Um, So, yeah, they've never been found. And uh, it was probably a part of this exodus business that they were thrown out on an exodus. And we have a record of the next pharaoh being thrown out, um, which was Pharaoh I. So we had Akhenaten, Smenkara, uh, Tutankhamun, and then Pharaoh I. 
Uh, I had been the sort of like army commander in charge of um, Amarna, and then he elected himself into being pharaoh after Tutankhamun died. Um, but we have his uh, history from Scottish history, um, which is not very well known about. But anyway, the ancient history of the Scots and the Irish, and this goes back to the 14th century in, in Scotland, uh, which is called Scotty Chronicon. Uh, and back to the 6th century in Ireland, that's the uh, Labor Gabala. And they say that Pharaoh I, who they call Scoter and Gaethalos, was kicked out of Egypt because, again, he disappeared. We don't have his money, uh, mummy. And he was told to go because he tried to go back to the old religion. Tutankhamun had... Let, let's start from Akhenaten. So Akhenaten changed the religion into the Aten. Um, Tutankhamun was forced, because he was only a youngster, he was forced to go back to the old gods and uh, abandon the Aten. And then I took over, and he scrapped all that and went back to the Aten again. And, of course, there was a lot of people who didn't like that move. And so I got kicked out after four years. And Scottish history says that he was given 60 ships um, to organize an exodus and go. He was told to go and never come back home again. And uh, so according to Scottish history, uh, he went up to um, uh, Spain, to the Ebro Peninsula on the east coast of Spain and to Mallorca as well. They occupied Mallorca. Um, and then after a couple of generations or so, um, they sailed round to Ireland and ended up in the Dingle Peninsula in Ireland. And then they went to Scotland. Um, so that's Scottish history. You know, a lot of people just say it's pure mythology, but I, I went through this in my book, Scota, uh, the Egyptian Queen of the Scots. Ah. And there seems to be a lot of history there that does indicate it may well be, may, may well have been true. It was a proper exodus. Uh, so this little band of people, 500, maximum of 1,000 people, probably 500, uh, went on an exodus and set up colonies in Ireland and Scotland because they said it was uninhabited and therefore they could live there without any uh, oppression from other people. I read, so a, was... I read a book about 12 months ago and that was positing the theory of Scorta being, mm -hmm. um, being a daughter of Akhenaten and Nefertiti who fled. Yes. Is that the, have you come to the same conclusion or is it a, a, yes, another generation? I don't know which one that was, but I came to the same conclusion. So Skota would have been Ankesanamun. And Ankesanamun was, uh, she married her father, first of all, Akhenaten. Then she married her cousin, I think, which was Tutankhamun. She became queen when she married Tutankhamun. And then she married I who would have been her uncle or something of that nature. Right. Um, so she became queen again with, with Pharaoh I, and they were kicked out of Egypt. So, yes, Skota would have been a daughter of Akhenaten. I know there was some boats that were found somewhere, I think, in the, in the northeast of England. Yes, the Dover boats. Um, so, yeah, the Dover boats were interesting because they were sewn boats from the Bronze Age era, yeah. which is exactly what they were using in um, in Egypt. And the, the bigger one, not so famous, but the bigger one, the, the one that's more complete, 
is the Dover boat, if you go to the museum in Dover. And that's quite a large boat. Um, it's not exactly seagoing, but at least it's sort of inland um, capable. It looks like a bit of a, like a sort of Oxford or Cambridge punt, basically, <laughs> flat bottom sort of thing. Yeah. Mm. But again, they're they're Bronze Age. I mean, they're they're more than three thousand years old. You know, they're very old. And um, we've got to we often talk about this, but um, we often forget how interconnected the Mediterranean world was in the this period, the late Bronze Age, when it comes to trade. Um, you know, what did Eric Klein say? Something about two degrees of separation you know every major power like if the egyptians if the if the the egyptians knew the hittites but maybe they didn't know you know some other empire but they were always only separated by one or two empires it was a very uh, he calls it like the ancient bronze age g7 the way things worked back then well, yes, especially if um, this exodus is true that they're talking about of Skota and Gaethelos, because they populated all of the islands across the Mediterranean, because the islands were fairly safe places that they could set up new empires because they were the dominant civilization. They had uh, expertise and they had weaponry that you know the people on the islands wouldn't have had, so they could easily dominate them. And it's likely that they set up uh, exiled populations on lots of these islands. Do you think because they probably have? Do you think they even had relationships already? You know, or like trade relationships. Do you think they, they will have had connections on the island? They did in the eastern Mediterranean because they had strong connections with uh, the Minoans because the Minoans were the great traders of that era. And if you wanted anything sending across the um, Mediterranean, you use the Minoans. They were the shipping company. And so, yes, they would have had very strong uh, relationships with uh, the Minoans. And the Minoans eventually set up a palace in, in the uh, Nile Delta after the major eruption, which we're going to talk about, of Santorini, which almost destroyed uh, the Minoan Empire. Mm. Um, and that sort of brings us on, I suppose, to the exodus, the proper exodus, not the little one, yeah. but the proper one. Um, so actually, with with the proper exodus, the, the the two brothers, what's happened is in the biblical story they've conflated these two exoduses into one, and so the two prime uh, characters within this exodus, exodus story actually come from Amarna. Um, so the Aaron and Moses, the two brothers of the exodus, were actually Achanaten and Tuthmoses, the two brothers at. Amana. So the brother of um, Akhenaten was called Tuth Moses. He was called Moses. And those are the two characters of the biblical exodus. But they're not really connected with the major exodus, the big exodus. Um, so the big exodus would have occurred uh, 300 years before or so, 1580 uh, BC. And it's connected with the, the Hyksos. So the Hyksos are known as the Shepherd Kings, and they came down into Egypt from Mesopotamia, they say, and they took over Egypt. This is circa, oh, I don't know, 1800 BC, something of that nature. And they became actually fully Egyptianized. You don't, can't really see much difference between the Hyksos 
shepherd kings and the Theban Egyptians. Uh, caused some tensions, of course, with these people coming down into Egypt. But anyway, they lived alongside each other for a number of centuries. Um, and then they had an eruption, which was the big Santorini eruption. Oh, and, and before I continue with that, I should say that um, Josephus Flavius, who is Judaism's greatest historian, he's first century, he wrote all about this as well. So he actually quotes from Manetho, and then he wrote an entire Old Testament himself, uh, which is a secular um, Old Testament known as Antiquities. And in, in many respects, it's more authoritative than the Old Testament is because he had sources that we no longer have. Uh, his sources came from 600 BC, and they came from the Temple of Jerusalem before it was destroyed. Of course. Um, anyway, Josephus says that the Hyksos were the Israelites. So he is saying, and this is Judaism's greatest historian, he is saying that the Israelites were Egyptians. They were the Hyksos shepherd kings. And that's why the patriarchs in the Bible are all called shepherds, because they were shepherd kings. Um, and people will say, no, 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 they were just, yeah, they were humble shepherds, nothing to do with kings. And then you read, of course, in the Bible, it says that Abraham had 318 servants under him. And you think, wow, that's, that's one hell of a shepherd to have 318 shepherds. Um, and then you read Josephus, of course, who has the parallel story, um, but in a secular fashion. And he says that Abraham had 318 army officers. Ah, now that changes things, because if they were uh, all centurions, then Abraham had a standing army of 30,000 men. Okay, so he's not a shepherd with a few starving moth-eaten sheep on a hill. He is a shepherd king, only a shepherd king. The Hyksos would have a standing army of 30,000 men because the Hyksos had the largest army in that, um, uh, in that era, really, anywhere in that era. So he must have been Hyksos, exactly the same as Josephus Flavius says, that the Israelites were Egyptians. They were Egyptian pharaohs. Um, and people don't like to mention that because it changes the story somewhat, but it, I think it makes the story more real because now we can place that story back into real history. And we know exactly what it was because the Hyksos had an exodus, a very, very familiar one. So the following points come from history. This is nothing to do with the Bible. This is from the history of the Hyksos. So you had these people uh, in Egypt who were known as, as shepherds. A king of theirs was called Jacob, Jacoba. They wore earrings and hair ringlets, you know, curly side locks of hair, and they were circumcised. Now, who does that? I can't remember. Um, they were involved in a war with the Egyptians, the southern Egyptians. There were storms and darkness. We get that from the Tempest Stella, which tells us all about it. There was a tsunami, the waters parting. There was a pillar of fire and smoke. There was an ash fall. Um, the, the ash fall, again, was one of the plagues. I don't know if people know that. Um, in, in the Old Testament, it says that um, God said unto Moses, Take you handfuls of ash from the hearth of the fire 
and cast it up into the sky and it will become small ash across the uh, whole land of Egypt. Hmm, what could that be? Sounds like a volcano to me. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we carry on. So some more points about the uh, Hyksos exodus. Um, there were some 500,000 people were ejected from Egypt on an exodus. They set off from Pyramus, Avarice, and they traveled to Jerusalem. And they were a mighty military force, and they destroyed Jericho. Ah, have we heard that story somewhere before, I wonder? Yeah, that's the biblical exodus. Everything is identical to the biblical exodus. Uh, and this is known history. I'm not making this up. You can look this up anywhere that the Hyksos had this major exodus. The only reason people will not accept it is because this exodus happened in 1580 BC and not in the time of Ramesses II, which would be sort of the 1150 or something BC or 1200. I forget when Ramesses was around. Probably 1200, 1220 or something. Um because of, because there's no evidence that the um, Israelite exodus happened during the time of Ramesse. Uh, they only say that because the town they went from and left on this exodus was called Pyramesse. And so they say, oh, well, he must have, they must have happened at the time of Ramesses II. Uh, yeah, the town couldn't have been named before, the town couldn't have been named before yeah, he existed. the name of the town was was Avarice, and that's where the Hyksos left from. So is that and just Avarice, a, is that just an error in translation somewhere? No, they renamed it. Uh, Ramesses the second, uh, Ramesses the Great, was known as the Great Chiseler, and he chiselled his name on everything in Egypt and claimed it for himself. Oh, yeah. And right. of course, that's why the town became known as Pyramesi. Right. Um, but its original name was Avarice, and it was the city from which the Hyksos left. And so this was the biblical exodus. It was the Hyksos exodus because the Israelites and the Hyksos are the same people. And to me, that doesn't change the story very much, but to, uh, to Jews and, and uh, pious Christians, it gets them foaming at the mouth because they don't like it because they don't want to be associated with Egypt and polytheism and all the rest of it. And oh. so they deny that there is any connection at all. But there is obviously a connection. And the beauty about this connection is we know why the exodus happened. Nothing to be to do with the wrath of God. It was the wrath of uh, the volcano at Santorini. Right. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with Santorini. Um, it was an island just north of Crete. And in 1600 BC, it blew its top. The biggest eruption in known history of mankind. And it spread destruction over the whole of that region, across the whole of the eastern Mediterranean. It was a huge explosion. And, of course, it caused a huge, great ashfall. It caused three days of darkness, of course, exactly as the biblical story says. It, it caused a, a great ashfall, just as it says in the biblical text. There was a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke, which people could see from miles around. Um, and there was a parting of the waters, of course, because that always seemed like a very odd, mystical thing, you know. Why did the waters part for the Israelites? Well, it was a tsunami, of course. This was a uh, a Mediterranean, a maritime subduction explosion. So the island collapsed before it exploded. 
it collapsed into its em empty chamber. So I don't know if you know these, these uh, volcanoes, they have a magma chamber underneath the volcano filled with hot lava. And that huffs and puffs and it pumps its way for weeks, months, <clears throat> like it did down in Spain recently in one of the islands in the Canaries. It'll sit there and huff and puff for months, maybe, if it's big enough, throwing out this lava and so on until the chamber is empty. And as soon as the chamber is empty, there is nothing to hold the island up above it. And it just collapses into the empty chamber. And so you get this great subduction in the ocean. And so what happens for the tsunami is as it rolls out across the uh, Mediterranean, the first thing you get is the sea receding, a bit like we had during the Indonesian um, tsunami. The sea just disappears. And, of course, you can imagine the uh, Egyptian army walking out across the beach thinking, you know, Where's the sea gone? You know, and there's all these fish flopping around on the beach. So they go around picking up all the fish and they wander out to see where the sea's gone to. Uh, and then, of course, the sea rolls back in again. The water did part, but it was a tsunami in the Reed Sea, not in the Red Sea, but in the Reed Sea, which is actually what it's called in, in, if you read it in the, um, in, in the Aramaic. Uh, it's actually the Reed Sea, not the Red Sea. Um, and this to me is, is proof positive that this actually happened um, because what we have is five black swans, maybe six, I don't know, um, a black swan being something so incredible that nobody could make up the story because it's, it's too unlikely. So nobody would make up such a stupid story like the sea disappearing, unless you had actually seen it yourself happening. But here we not only have one black swan, swan, we have five or six of them. We have a pillar of fire, a pillar of smoke. We have an ash fall. Um, we have a tsunami, uh, all happening. Oh, and the three days of darkness as well. All happening at the same time all of them being black swans that you would not expect to happen uh, in the normal course of events. But how would any ancient chronicler know that all of those elements are connected with a huge great volcano if they had not seen the, the volcano and the ramifications of that volcano uh, upon Egypt? It's quite clear this is a first-hand account, an eyewitness account, of what actually happened. And Josephus backs this up by saying that the air was uh, too thick to breathe and people were inwardly consumed by the thick air. It's exactly what happens in a volcano. If you read the reports from Mount St. Helens when that blew its top, uh, again, people couldn't breathe. They were going around with, with masks on because they couldn't breathe. Um, and that puts an exact date on this Exodus event. So this Exodus event happened just after 1600 BC because we've dated the Thera Santorini eruption quite accurately to 1600 BC uh, because there were loads of um, olive trees caught in the, uh, uh, in, the, in the lava, not the lava, in the um, pumice, they call it, yeah. 
Um, and so it's fairly accurately dated to 1600 uh, BC. And the Hyksos exodus happened in about 1580 BC, about 20 years after. Yeah, close enough. <laughs> well, it, it took 20 years, even within the, the historic, uh, within, within the history of um, the Hyksos that we know, it took about 20 years for this to fester. And they had this ongoing dispute for at least a generation. Um, because, of course, I mean, there was a catastrophe across the eastern Mediterranean. Someone was to blame for it. Right. Somebody a had... A scapegoat, if you like. Yeah. You don't get away with upsetting the gods. You know, retribution is required. You've upset the gods. And, of course, the southerners blamed the Hyksos, and the Hyksos blamed the southerners. And before you know it, you end up with a civil war, which is exactly what happened. Well, you should uh, you should quickly explain, uh, Ralph, because you, you said the Hyksos and the Southerners. When when the Hyksos mm. invaded, they didn't capture the entire country of Egypt, did they? No, they they mainly inhabited the delta lands down as far as Cairo, um, and the rest of Egypt was still controlled by the uh, Theban Egyptians, you might call them, yeah. down in in Thebes. Uh, so yeah, it was it was, and they, they actually had different symbolism. So we we had the red crown in the north yes, yes. and the white crown down in the south. They had two pharaohs ruling at the same time. But of course, the northern pharaoh, two of the northern pharaohs were called Jacob. Now, where does that name come from? Is that bloke with the ladder? I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> Him and his pillow, strange pillow made of stone. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah, um, well, the pillow's another interesting one, isn't it? But I don't know if we'll, well get yeah, there. The, well, we can talk about that if you want. That's the sacred the sacred meteorite. Um, it turns up in Arthurian legend as well. Um, so very quickly, uh, very quickly skipping into Arthurian legend. Uh, we have... <laughs> As you do, jumping from, you know, <laughs> yeah, Egypt see. to... Well, they are connected. When we come on to talk about Arthur, maybe sometime later, mm. they are connected, the, these two stories. Um, but the uh, Holy Grail had, had several forms. Uh, one of the forms was it was the royal blood. So it was the bloodline. It was the Sangreal, the royal blood. Um, it was supposed to be a chalice as well that captured the royal blood. Um, but it was, it was being the royal blood, it was, uh, it was a princess. And we have this wonderful story within Parsifal um, of them all standing around this sort of round table. And there's a new knight being initiated. And they're going to parade the Holy Grail for him. And this princess comes in holding a green cloth. And they say to the knight, can you see the grail? And he's looking around the place and he can't see anything. He says, no, I, I can't see a grail. Um, all I can see is this princess holding a green cloth. And, of course, all of the other knights fall around laughing because she is the grail. She is the bloodline. Um, so that's the holy grail. But the other manifestation of the grail is it was a sacred stone. It was a sacred meteorite, and this sacred meteorite goes back to Egypt. It was the stone that Jacob laid his head on uh, and anointed with oil. Um, it ended up in Greece because of Alexander, who went down into Egypt, 
and it became the um, Omphalos of Delphi. Oh. It went up to Delphi. Um, it's, it's a small thing. It's, it's probably only about 60, 70 centimetres high, conical stone, supposed to be a meteorite, probably metallic, um, probably ma magnetic. Um, but from Greece, it went over to Parthia, to Persia, because that's where Alexander went, and it ended up in, in Persia. Um, then it came back and it ended up in Edessa. I talk a lot about Edessa in my biblical books. Uh, Edessa is in northern Syria. Then it went down to Emesa. Sounds the same, but it's a different um, uh, royal dynasty uh, in Homs and Hama, which is in modern Syria. Uh, and we have pictures of it. Again, it's a conical little stone. Um, and then it's sitting in a temple, of course, because it was sacred. And then Emperor Elagabalus, oh. who came from Homs and Hama, he was the mad emperor who was who was uh, castrated. Might have been, um, he might have had a panectomy as well. We're not quite sure. So he might have become uh, androgynous, and he took it to Rome. Uh, but he wasn't. So we have images of it in Rome, and again, it's a conical stone. He used to take it around Rome in a chariot. Um, casting uh, gold dust before it. Right, because so he, he was a devotee of Sol Invictus, wasn't he, Elagabalus? He was, and we come back to that when we start talking about Jesus, because Jesus was of the same religion. He was a Galilean, and the Galileans were all eunuchs, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> um, is, this, so anyway. um, is this what they used to call the Ben-Ben stone? In Egypt. Yeah, it's the Benben stone. In Egypt, it was called the Benben. Right. Uh, and again, it's it's portrayed as being conical there as well. So eventually it became called the Elagabal stone. The Elagabal means the small mountain of God. Uh, and it went to Rome. And then, of course, Elagabalus was murdered. They didn't really like him. Because, <laughs> Very effeminate. Didn't, uh, yeah, didn't mix with the Roman... Strange, yeah, Persuasion. strange Eastern ways, and he yes. was a eunuch. You were not supposed to be a eunuch, and all that sort of stuff. And um, so they they murdered him, and we don't know what happened to the sacred stone oh. after that time. Uh, the Scottish Templars say that they have it up in Scotland, but um, there is no evidence of that. But there we go. Uh, so that's a potted history of of Jacob's uh, stone. Uh, it was a sacred uh, meteorite. Um, fairly influential. It's been around the world a bit, that stone, but there we go. We don't know where it is. Um, but coming back to uh, the Exodus, that was the biblical Exodus. So the biblical Exodus was the Hyksos Exodus. It's a real event. It was caused by the eruption of Thera, Santorini. Um, and it was much earlier than they say. And, of course, these Hyksos, when they were thrown out of Egypt on this exodus, they are the people who destroyed Jericho. And so, again, it fits in very, very well with the biblical story because they keep saying, oh, there's no evidence for the exodus because, you know, Jericho had been abandoned for 300 years before the exodus happened. Yeah, but only if you've got the wrong date for the exodus, yeah. champs. If you get the right date and you understand that the Israelites were the Hyksos, then these are the people who destroyed Jericho. 
So wh- where did you say the Hyksos came from originally when they first came to Egypt? We don't entirely know. Um, they say that they came from Mesopotamia, from perhaps Haran, which is where Abraham yeah, came from. Yeah, that ties in. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Haran is at Edessa, of course, this town that I keep talking about in the New Testament. It's the same place. It's right next door to, to Edessa. Right. So it's between the uh, Tigris and the Euphrates up in northern northern Syria. What do you think um, would be the motivation for the Hyksos when they get kicked out to target Jerusalem? Why, why not find somewhere else to settle? Well, I think they did, you see. I mean, the story says that they went to Jerusalem, but the evidence seems to say that they went to many places because, we, I mean, we have the history of uh, Scoter and, and Gaethalos, uh, Pharaoh I, and they didn't go to Jerusalem. They ended up going to Spain and, and going round to Ireland and Scotland. Right. Uh, there is some evidence that uh, uh, some of them populated the other islands across the Mediterranean and went to uh, Greece, Macedonia, well, Macedonia, anyway, southern Greece, um, because there is a story of, of the Spartans being cousins of the Israelites. Wow. That comes from the book of Maccabees. Um and, of course, if you look at the history of, of the uh, Spartans, they were a invading aristocracy and army who took over another people. I don't know if you know the history of the Spartans, but it was a two-tiered uh, society. Mm-hmm. Um, it was run by the Spartans, but the Spartan was only a very, very small elite. They never got to more than about 6,000 people, I think it was. A very, very precarious elite controlling the country. And all of the work, everything else was done by the Helots. That's right. Yep. Who were a subjugated people that they had taken over. And of course, if you had some aristocracy coming out of Egypt, that's exactly what might happen. You know, they might take over another population uh, and dominate them, which is exactly what happened. So you think Leonidas could have been a descendant of the Hyksos? Yeah. Um, I mean, this is this is quite possibly why we have the Sea People invasion. Nobody has uh, has successfully explained the Sea People invasion of Egypt and the Levant. Why did these widely separated islands all across the Mediterranean suddenly decide to all get together with a thousand ships and invade the world superpower? Yeah, Egypt. It doesn't make any sense. What on earth made them? What gave them the thought that they could uh, could destroy Egypt? And, and why on earth would they want to in the first place? Well, if they were all exiled Hyksos, who had been sitting in these islands for the last two stroke 300 years, um, muttering about, you know, what did the Egyptians ever do for us sort of thing, um, and slowly getting more and more powerful in their islands in terms of their technology and uh, and their populations. And suddenly in the uh, mid sort of 12th century BC, they suddenly decide to all get together, thousand ships, and invade Egypt. Egypt. Well, now we've got a, a rationale for that because they were kicked out 300-odd years before. Now they want to get their own back. That's absolutely that, fascinating. Yeah. Because, yeah. And that's why the... That's why the Sea People invasion happened. That's, you know, that's the reason for it. For context, the the Sea People invasion happens at the end of the Bronze Age, around the Bronze Age collapse, when when Ramesses is 
Pharaoh, he defeats them, doesn't he? Is it Ramses? Ramses the, the third. Yes. Third. Yeah, yeah. So this is after. So so the hypothesis is that the sea. See, when you think from the biblical point of view, and you understand why, um, the story is told that the Exodus, the the uh, Moses uh, leads the Israelites together in a conglomeration into the Holy Land. But what we're saying is that the Exodus was Exodus was more of a scattering across the Mediterranean, maybe even Sparta <laughs> and other islands across the Mediterranean. And then a few centuries later, they get back together or plan some sort of invasion, which is recorded by the Egyptians as, as the invasion of the sea people. Is that about yes, right? Because one of the, yeah, one of the big contingents, of course, of the sea people were the Greeks. They came out of Macedonia because this, I mean, this is long before established Greek history. Uh, we're talking sort of 1100s BC. You know, Greek history doesn't really come to the fore until about the, you know, 700s BC. So it was a long time before uh, classical Greece came along. And some of the sea people were the... Um, were the Greeks, and of course we have a, a, a great similarity, of course, with the um, uh, with the Iliad and the invasion of Troy, because how many times do you get a thousand ship consortium going to attack a place? It sounds very much like the invasion of Troy, as if Troy was actually. Because um, I, I don't write very much about this because it's very tenuous. There's not much. Um, proof and i like to write books that have proof rather than just conjecture um so i just write about this in in like about you know four or five paragraphs so i don't dwell on this um but i made a connection between the uh, invasion of troy in the iliad and the sea people invasion of egypt uh because of course the 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 greek horse um you know for getting into Troy doesn't make a great deal of sense because there were not many people who um, venerated the the horse, you know, as a sacred animal. So why would you give a horse to be taken in inside the city? Um, but of course, within Egypt, um, they venerated the bull, and of course, the bull was an apis, whereas the Trojan or the Greek horse was a hippos, apis. Hippos. It sounds the same to me. I think it was a it was a, a a Greek bull that they gave them, not a Greek horse, the Trojan horse. I think it was the Apis bull. Right. Um, I mean, is and it, that's how they got into the city. Is it not fairly secure the location of Troy? Didn't no, Schliefman? It was invented by Schleiman. Um No, it's not secure at all. Um, there is no direct evidence that that is Troy. Right. I mean, it's a great story, uh, and lots of tourists go to to see it. Uh, but if you um, if you read Herodotus, he says they went to Egypt. Um, so it's not entirely secure that that is Troy whatsoever. There's nothing that identifies it as Troy. And that headdress, that golden headdress, <laughs> loads of people think that that was made by the Turks. I was just going to say, you, you <laughs> must be really popular with the Turkish uh, tourist board. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. Well, I, I can only say it as I see it. Yeah. I don't think that that is Troy. Um I mean, the two people were the same. Okay, you can have arguments between two people who were the same. The um, the the Greeks 
Um, they had the same no name. One was the Danoi and the other one was the Dananoia or something. Anyway, they, they both had the same name, the Greeks and the Trojans. Right. Um, and, you know, they were fighting over this, this the, the face of Helen. Um, and, of course, Hel, Helen in Egyptian, it means the face. Um, there, are, there are lots of connections anyway. It's something I might need to research further and make, because as I say, I haven't done very much work on this. It's just um, elements that seem to make sense, but I don't have enough evidence for. I mean, the other one was the um, uh, the judges. Um, so with this Sea People invasion, we have the text from Ramesses III, and he says that the sea people came and attacked the Egyptians with fire set before them. Right. Okay. And then you read Judges and the history of the Judges, the Israelite Judges, and when they fought their enemies, and I forget who the enemy was called, but I link them up with the Egyptians, the Judges came and they attacked their enemy with fire set before them in exactly the same fashion. And in fact, we get more information from the uh, biblical text than we do from Ramesses III. Um, it, it says that they, their army were all given pots of clay with fire at the bottom of them. And then they lined up around the enemy camp at midnight, obviously when it was dark, and they all smashed their pots so their fire would suddenly be seen. And then they marched through the camp uh, with this fire set before them. The story is the same, that the Israelites were the um, sea people, returning wasn't, sea people. Wasn't there something called Greek fire that the Greeks used yeah, that mar was, in maritime? Um, from, yeah, from later. That was supposed to oh. be squirted. Right. So that wasn't just to intimidate people. That was actually to to throw napalm on them, basically. <laughs> I'm not sure how they, they were supposed to throw it, but somehow they managed to throw this Greek fire. And basically, it was napalm. Yeah. <laughs> it's absolutely fascinating. I, uh... So, yeah, it, it is an interesting story, and it sort of makes sense of what did not make sense before. That's why I like this um, research that I've done. It makes sense of things that, that were totally unintelligible. Um, one of the good things that came out of this, one of the interesting things, again, making sense of things that made no sense, was when um, Joseph came back down into Egypt. So uh, so they, they had been, in, in, in my text, they had been on the Exodus, and now Joseph, him of the coat of many colors, is coming back down into Egypt um, to settle there. And he brings his brothers down because, remember, Joseph had gone down on his own. And then he'd become very successful. He'd become the prime minister of Egypt and probably the um, high priest of, of On, Heliopolis. So he'd become very successful. Obviously, he was fully Egyptianized at that point. He must have spoken fluent Egyptian, understood all of the Egyptian customs and gods, etc. And now he's inviting his brothers back down into Egypt as well. And he says to them, you're going to meet Pharaoh. Now, when you meet Pharaoh, whatever you do, don't say that we are shepherds. 
say instead that we are bull breeders and we've been bull, bull breeders for, uh, for generations because shepherds are an abomination to the Egyptians and we will not be allowed to settle in Egypt. And of course, this makes absolutely no sense whatsoever because uh, the Egyptians never had any problem with eating meat or, or, or uh, keeping sheep or anything of that nature. Makes no sense whatsoever unless you know that the Israelites were shepherd kings. So this is talking about religion and, and, uh, and society uh, and politics, not, not, um, not agriculture. So what he's saying to his brothers is when you meet Pharaoh, don't say you are shepherd kings, hyksos, mm. because we are an abomination to the Egyptians. Well, of course they were because they'd just been thrown out on a massive great exodus only 100 years before or whatever, however soon they came back into the country. Um, say instead that you are Apis bull worshippers, which was the, you know, the state religion of, of Egypt. Otherwise, you will not be able to stay and settle in Egypt. It's talking about politics. It's talking about the Hyksos shepherd kings. And not only that, it's talking about um, the Zodiac. It's talking about procession. Um, are you, will, will your listeners be familiar with procession? Yes. I mean, briefly, it's the 26,000-year cycle yep. that the... Uh that the constellations revolve due to the Earth's tilt on its axis. But, I mean, I think most people listening are tuned into it. Well, this is part of the problem, because the other problem uh, for the Hyksos, apart from um, uh, Santorini blowing its top, uh, is that the constellations changed while they were in Egypt. And so Taurus changed into um, Aries in about 1750 BC. Right. And... The Hyksos shepherd kings changed to Aries. That's why they called themselves shepherds, because the dominant constellation, the great month, was now the great month of Aries, not Taurus. Whereas many of the southern Egyptians down in Thebes uh, kept worship, worshipping and venerating the Apis bull, Taurus. And so now we had a contention, a religious contention between these two peoples, as well as everything else right. that was going on. And it was perhaps the religious differences between these two people, which again forced the major great exodus in 1580 BC. And so this is what they're talking about in this conversation with Pharaoh. Uh, they're talking about procession. They're talking about um, the, the change between Taurus and Aries, between bulls and sheep. And so... What I like about this is, is quite possibly we have a verbatim conversation between Pharaoh and Joseph, dating back to whenever this was. It would have been something like 1400 BC or so. Uh, so 3,400 years ago, we have a verbatim conversation between these two people, which has been copied down through the ages uh, into the modern era, and we know exactly what Pharaoh was saying. And that sort of makes it real to me. I mean, not real in the spiritual context. You know, I'm a Gnostic atheist, you know. But in terms of history, we not only have artifacts coming out of the ground, you know, a bit of archaeology here and there. We now have a verbatim conversation between Pharaoh and his prime minister. 
in in 3,400 years ago, which I find to be quite fascinating, really. Well, Ralph, we're, we're just ticking up to an hour now, and uh, I hate to have to end because I could listen to you all night. Um, I could go on all night, yes. <laughs> you've uh, you just interested me then with the statement, I'm a Gnostic atheist. That seems um, yeah. a bit of a juxtaposition. <laughs> yes, it does. How's that work? Well, um, an, well an agnostic doesn't know. Right. A Gnostic knows. So it's an atheist who knows who the gods were. Um, and they're not necessarily the gods that you think um, that they were. Uh, put it this way, I became a mason. And of course, to become a mason, you must believe in a god of some nature. Um, but the nature of that god is not given. And so you can be a Gnostic atheist. Um, it I, depends what you think God is. Right. Are you of the school of thought of Ealdabaoth, the sort of um, inferior god who created this realm that we live in now and that there is something higher above in, the art, Sophia and all respects, the rest of it? Yeah, no, I'm a, a believer in 2001, A Space Odyssey. <laughs> Which is comes from Masonic uh, law. I mean, that's part of Masonic teaching. Um, that there were ancient astronauts, right. and that is what was perceived to be the god. Uh, the Anunnaki, is that the, the guys? Well, yes, I don't like that name because it has too many connotations put on to it. <laughs> too many consonants it, as well. <laughs> yeah, um, just, just call it the Spaceman. Call it 2001. Um, the unidentifiable, un unidentified beings uh, who who ran across the um, galaxy in their spaceship, and of course we got no idea how or what that uh, looked like. Um, but did a little bit of education, you know, as per two thousand and one, a space odyssey. Um, one of the best films ever made, of course, if people haven't watched it. Course, and it yes. shows you the whole history of mankind. That's how mankind um, became civilised. Excellent. That's uh, another conversation for another time, isn't yeah, it? Ancient aliens. We've skirted around that so far. Hey, uh, <laughs> Akhenaten wasn't one of these elongated, skulled aliens, was he? Well, why why do you think that Akhenaten looks exactly like the modern grey? Oh, where do you think they base that look upon? I'm I'm not the only person who would subscribe to this. It's a Masonic thing, of course. They they made the grey look like Akhenaten because they knew that Akhenaten uh, based his body design upon what he thought the gods looked like. He didn't look like that at all. Of course, that is sculpted. We we have. Um, we have busts and statues of him yeah. as a normal person. Mm. He did not look like that. He wanted his artisans to carve him in that shape, wow. in that style, in order to look like the gods, because that's what he thought the gods looked like. That's right. You can see some carvings of Akhenaten with Nefertiti by his side, and they just look like plain old normal average people. humans. Yeah, of course they do. Yeah. Um, but the grey was Akhenaten. It was based on Akhenaten. So he's fairly influential, this guy. Just a bit. 
Well, <laughs> well, Ralph. And his little cult. If you watch Wild Wild Country and you can see what happened to him and all it's, of the problems he had yeah, <laughs> trying to keep his little cult together. Bagwan, wasn't it? Bagwan. Yeah, Bagwan, that's the, that's his name, yeah. Yeah, it's a good doc, that, on uh, on Netflix. And he actually, I mean, it, how mad it got. I mean, it, it got just as mad, of course, under Akhenaten. Um, he tried to poison the local town. <laughs> They tried to poison everyone yeah. in the local town because they were having an argument with the local town. Uh, quite mad. Well, Ralph, it's been an absolute <laughs> uh, pleasure. The links for um, your website where people can find your books will be in the show notes as ever. And uh, I'll put a link to your YouTube channel because you've been doing uh, YouTube videos on, on all these sorts of topics as well. Yeah. Yes. I've got about 20 um, YouTube uh, videos out there just taking elements out of my books. And I've got a Facebook site, which is quite active. I've got a lot of stories on there. I do a lot on climate because uh, I'm a climate scientist as well. I don't know if you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I do lots of things. I, I used to be a lorry driver. I was a coal miner. Uh, I used to be a, an airline captain. Um, you know, various jobs, you know, here and there. But, um, <laughs> well, you, you wow. name it. I've, I've had a go at it, you know. I know. That's why, I'm a, that's why I'm a polymath, you see, you know. I have a, a fairly good understanding of lots of different um do you know, I, I was so uh, tempted to just sack off ancient history and talk climate change with you. Because it's, <laughs> well, we can do that. Yeah, we can do that another time. Why not? Well, it's just be- it's becoming more and more pertinent the way things are going. It's becoming, it's oh. in the messaging constantly. And uh, yeah. I, I think yeah. I probably fall in the same camp as you when it comes to heresy on that score. So, yeah, maybe another time. But um, yeah, we should sign off um, and just say thanks for joining us, Ralph. I've really enjoyed it. And uh, we've had loads of good uh, comments on the chat from other YouTube. We've had a lot of other YouTubers in the the chat. I saw Ziggy down there and Matt from the Apocalypse YouTube channel, a few others. So um, yeah, check out Ralph's channel. All the links will be in the show notes. And um, we're going to sign off for now. Nice to meet you, Ralph. Um, Great to be on. Just uh, stay on the line for us for one minute while we play ourselves out. Cheers, Ralph. Cheers, thanks. The rest of you, we'll catch you after a short interlude, just for a bit of housekeeping. Okay. Ta-ra. Bye. Right then, we're back. The dwarf, the cripple, and this. That's our chat. I, I, uh, I should have clipped the dwarf off, but I'm not. I'm not with it. I'm really ill today. Ugh. Cognitive so, failure. Yeah, just body failure. I think I got back off holiday yesterday, and uh, I think a combination of a week of junk food. Um, constant alcohol and a, a lack of supplements uh. has uh, transpired with um, a, an opportunistic virus attacking me. Oh, lovely. Yeah, holidays in Akron. <laughs> the, the most hard work. <laughs> I really enjoyed it until uh, Friday night or last night and then about 
eight o'clock Friday night. I started getting a sc- scratchy throat and my nose was streaming. Uh, I thought, oh, shit. The worst. The worst. Couldn't sleep because I was just boiling. <laughs> and, uh, the last time I looked at my phone, it was 3 a.m., just gone 3 a.m. and I still hadn't got to sleep. Oh, so, God. And we had to check out the next morning, like, pack up the car and all that bullshit. Oh, no. So I woke up the next morning, and I was tired, but I wasn't ill. In, in fact, I did, um, what do they call it, like, um, outdoor um, high-wire adventure thing. Wow. <laughs> you know that way? Right. Have you seen it? Have you seen it? Like, like a treetop like a- thing? The go ape thing. Yeah, where it has zip lines, and we'd booked it in, me and the uh, six-year-old, and uh, I need elderberry syrup, apparently. I'll try, I'll work on Earth, Kelly Anna, do you get elderberry syrup? Boris dummy. <laughs> so I did the, uh, the, the treetop adventure with my six-year-old and smashed it. Yeah, did you do the leap of fate? I don't even know if there was one. It is, but like the Last Crusade. Yeah, well, you the... kind of swing out to over nothing and land in a net. Oh, is it a zip line? Like a zip line? Nah, more more Tarzan type rope affair. Yes. Well, no, no. <laughs> a zip line is as as exciting as it got. That's ah, pretty exciting, to be fair. So we did so that. We did that. And then I had to do the drive home. Right, it's about, what, three hours, two hours, two and a half hours? Three, yeah. So I was starting to fade on the road, and we we made it to Hartshead Services near Manchester, in between Manchester and Leeds. Uh, Is that the M62? Yeah, yeah. Uh. God, I've had so many Burger Kings there over the years. (laughs) And... uh, we got Burger King because it was dinner time. It was like one o'clock when we stopped there. And I said to the missus, you're going to have to do the last leg. I'm fucked. Oh. <laughs> I, was wow. really, I was really bad. And then we got home, unpacked the car, and I had to go and pick Zeus up. He went fucking mental. <laughs> got his little winky out. <laughs> so excited. <laughs> And uh, I couldn't eat, couldn't have any tea, and I was just boiling, ill, and more of the same today. So I'm afraid, uh, yeah, we've we've essentially no material because I've just been ill. Just ailments and symptoms and issues. How's your health, Ben? Uh, Yeah, (laughs) hunky-dory. Tip top, you might say. Uh, as far as I'm aware, I might have some underlying conditions I don't know about, but you know, who hasn't? Is bliss. Who hasn't an underlying condition? I, don't, I think I might have athlete's foot actually. You don't want to know about that. Um, <laughs> Gross. I took uh, I took Scout up Pendle Hill on Sunday. Scout is your dog. Scout is my little cocker spaniel. Yeah, um, we went up Pendle Hill. There is a lot of steps. Um, yeah, it was it was all right. It was windy on top. Dog enjoyed it. Met some other dogs. Did all the sniffing. Uh, the dog did some sniffing as well. And then we uh, we went down the hill and uh, back home. It was a very enjoyable, pleasant two hours travel. It's been warm today. Today it's been nice. Yeah, 
Yeah. Some, uh, this was last week. <laughs> oh, sorry. Some dick, some dick in the chat called Amish Matt <laughs> saying uh, it's 28 degrees here in Portugal at 9.44. Uh, <laughs> climate lockdown announced for tomorrow. Oh, really? <laughs> Excellent. What's, what's 70 degrees in English? Uh, 28 degrees, yeah. I mean... Oof. I, I mean, oh, 28. Sorry, I thought, I thought you said 70. Actually, 28. Celsius. That's yes. that's one thing that the Americans have got right, isn't it? It's Fahrenheit. Uh, I'm not sure the Americans invented it. It sounds like it sounds Italian to me. I mean, yeah. they use it. Like if, they do. Like 28 is not doesn't sound hot, but you know, no. 100. It's 100 hots. Yeah, it makes like, more sense. Yeah, that's hot. A scent of hearts. Yeah, there's. Um, we use them interchangeably, though, don't we? We go. Do oh, we? it's minus minus four in winter. We don't mean it's minus four Fahrenheit. That's fucking mental. Uh, but then in, <laughs> in summer, <laughs> in summer we switch to Fahrenheit because it's it's bigger. Sounds better. I mean, I, I suggest we just go Kelvin. <laughs> uh, what would that be? Oh, I don't know. I know absolute zero is what minus two hundred and seventy three degrees C, and that's zero Kelvin. So we'd be on three degrees. Say like it's a it's a balmy three hundred Kelvin in Portugal. <laughs> it's uh, twenty eight degrees. Matt Apocalypse in the YouTube and the chat says twenty eight degrees is eighty two point four Fahrenheit. Oh, that sounds too hot for a, for an evening. You can't sleep through that. No, you can't. Three, no. 301 Kelvin. <laughs> Cheers, Matt. <laughs> Fucking. I'm fired. He's the hero we need. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Matt, you need to let us know if you're here next week. Yeah. Uh, not Matt, a compocalypse. Matt, Amish Matt, sorry. Because... Um, uh, yeah. Depends. I might not be able to leave if he's uh, if he's locked down because of the heat and all the runways are melting. Yeah, maybe they they build the runways properly in Portugal. <laughs> maybe where was it? He was here, wasn't he? It was in Bryce Norton or somewhere. It was a military runway. So I imagine they're just like broken bricks and stuff. Do you know uh, <laughs> what was weird? Is uh, you know when they had that that heat wave and the world's going to end and record breaking temperatures. 40, where there was no other news for an entire week. I looked at um, the, the, I think there was three record-breaking temperatures, and um, they were all uh, RAF airbases, or defunct RAF airbases. It's where they have the equipment, eh? I only ever see, like, it's hot at Heathrow on the news. It's like, well, it's bloody miles away. It's fine here. <laughs> I think there's, uh, what do they call it, heat islands? Heat island? The heat island effect. So oh, if, I don't know. If you have a massive, um, like, a, a space of tarmac, black tarmac, ah, that soaks yeah. up the heat, and then you put your thermometer next to it, it's going to be a lot hotter. Than <laughs> oh, right. I was wondering if that was something to do with the fact they were saying that, like... Uh, impoverished areas uh, of the UK were more impacted by the heat. But I guess if they relate impoverished areas with, with like, you know, close together houses and 
lots of tarmac and not a lot of green space. I suppose it makes a bit of sense. Yeah. It's just uh, all where the heat goes. Go for a swim. <laughs> anyway, Ralph Ellis. Yeah, great. Nice guy. Interesting. Fascinating. It was good, wasn't it? Yeah. And so much that we didn't touch. He knows his um, onions. <laughs> yeah. yeah, his Gnostic onions. We're, uh, we're on show. It's good. Yeah, Gnosticism. That's another subject we could have got into in uh, the Nag Hammadi texts and uh, the, the Gnostic Gospels and stuff like well, that. I told I you about he, using made-up words, Phil. I bet he knows about Gnostic Gospels. He will. He just seems to be one of these guys who knows everything. A polymath. <laughs> yeah. A self-proclaimed polymath, though. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fine. Sorry. That might not. Yeah, yeah, so check out the links in the show notes for that. And uh, I'm going to get some of his books. Yeah. I wasn't familiar yeah, with his work and, until very recently when uh, we got put onto him. So, yeah, I'm going to check some of his books out. They sound well up my alley. Edfoobooks.uk. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, looks good. Oh, Scooter, that was that interested me. I thought that would make a very good movie plot or a screenplay. The um, Egyptian lady coming over to Ireland and then going up to Scotland with mm. 60 boats and. I thought that would be quite good. And then I thought, King of Scotland. Uh, and then I started thinking about X-Men. <laughs> so, <laughs> Why do you get to X-Men? Through, um, what's his name? McAvoy. James McAvoy. Is he the King of Scotland? He's in the last King of Scotland, is it? The <laughs> film about Edie Amin. Is he? Yeah, it's quite good. Well, it was quite good 20 years ago when it came out. I don't know. But if it holds up against, you know, the Avengers or anything. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can't watch any of this Marvel stuff anymore. It's just... Uh... Well, I, I took a detour from Marvel this week. We went to the cinema twice, Phil. Opulent, I know. Slapped my wrist wow. accordingly. But I went to watch um, Where the Crawdads Sing, which is a, a book that my wife is reading that she enjoyed very much. I'd not read the book, but I enjoyed the film. That was very good. That sounds like uh, an absolute snooze fest. Captain Crasherini yeah. snooze fest. Ab- absolutely, yeah. I, well, <laughs> I thought you might say that, so that's probably not for you. So one that might be up your alley is DC Super Pets, which I saw yesterday. <laughs> and that was that was also excellent. But well, I enjoyed it. It's been it's been panned by Mark Kermode. Um, <laughs> wow, what, what does he know? <laughs> exactly, <man>. right? <sighs> Angry tweets uh, defending DC Super Pets. <laughs> but What's yeah, that was, uh, I mean, that was all right. Oh, uh, so Super Dog is one that I know. Crypto the Super Dog is uh, Clark Kent's pet. Yep. Um, and then the others acquire pets, spoiler alert, as the film progresses. Like Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman, yeah, gets a pet. A rabbit? Um, no, it's more porcine than a rabbit. Oh. Um, there is Lex Luthor's in it. I'll need an antagonist. Um, 
Batman's in it, voiced by Keanu Reeves. Really? The dog as well, yeah. yeah. Why? I don't know. He's Money? A t- <laughs> he's a terrible actor. <laughs> he doesn't have a lot of, uh, lot of lines. Um, uh, who else is in it? There's Green Lantern, a female Green Lantern, who has ends up with a, another pet. Uh, there's Cyborg from... I don't know what he's in apart from oh, Teen Titans Go. Surely he has a Tamagotchi. Kind of. I think it's a guinea pig. <laughs> um, wow, who else is in it? Putin. Putin. Yeah. <laughs> is Green Lantern. <laughs> is Hitler. <laughs> yeah, there's some other guys in it. DC. Oh, Aqua, Aqua Dude. Um, Aquaman. Aquaman, yeah. Is, uh, is, is the son of the Pope in it? He's not. I'm the son of the Pope. The director's cut hasn't been released yet. Oh, is it the Schneider? The Schneider cut, the yeah. Schneider cut with the Schneider cut. It's going to be epic. Cameo from the son of the Pope. Absolutely, yeah. And why not? Can't wait for it. And I, so that was, uh, yeah, that was, that was the cinema trips this week. It sounds absolutely wank, that. Yeah, well, kids love it, don't they? Oh, right. You didn't, you, did you enjoy it? I, I think on my own. Oh, of course I enjoyed it. <laughs> did you not fall asleep? <laughs> no, I fell asleep during the Batman. <laughs> no, that is absolutely, this whole thing is is, is total rhubarb. <laughs> I've not seen no, the Batman. I fell asleep. I've heard the Batman is good. <laughs> no, it's rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> it's no Morbius. Yeah, it's no DC Super Pets. No, <laughs> <coughs> oh, uh, we've, uh, well, I say we, my missus has been re-watching the Harry Potter films. Oh, yeah, we do that every Christmas because it's uh, something to do. Is it a, a family tradition now? Well established. It's probably two years in the in the making with a fellow year, so we don't do it every year. We've done it twice. I'm reading the books now for the kids at bedtime. Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah. quite good. I mean, we're all on the first one. All right, yeah. So you know, it's good, good kid stories. Yeah, they're. Um, I, th- I enjoy. It. I enjoy Harry Potter books. I enjoyed the Harry Potter films. Um, I was working at a cinema when the first one came out, and I got to see the first one about three hours before anyone else in the UK. <sighs> I know, claim to fame. What a shame Twitter wasn't around then. You could have spoiled it for everyone. I know, yeah. I know. What well, was it around then? Could have gone on Friends Reunited, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> MSN Messenger. Yeah. Message boards. Mm. When did Reddit start? How long has Reddit been going? Oh, God, no. I think it's always been with us. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Insidious. Yeah. Do you want to... Uh, do you want to do a headline of the week? I've got one. Yeah, well, only one, though. Well, <laughs> well, you're in luck. Oh, am I going to be able to see it? What? Sorry. Am I going to be able to see it? I crashed the trail. <laughs> Are you not watching? Can you see my feed with the uh, graphics on? Yes. Then what? you should be able to see it, I think. Okay. You'll, you'll find out. If not, I shall read it to you. Okay, very good. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> 
was a big story. Headlines of the week. Singular, singular headline of the week this week. Because uh, I just haven't had time. And here it comes. Lazy, lazy. I've seen it. Yay. Guff Justice. I can't stop farting since eating a ham roll five years ago. And my flatulence even wakes me up, says Dad, as he sues for £200,000. So many questions. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm pretty sure I ate a ham roll five years ago, and this, this answers some of those questions. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's healthy. Um, and why wouldn't you have raised it within that five years and also how far away is his dad when he's asleep or she's asleep or they're asleep my dad tells me it wakes me up (laughs) a dad who claims he cannot stop blowing off after eating oh says dad I thought it was someone else and then their dad was telling them their farts are waking up that's a poorly written headline eat I can't stop farting since (laughs) eating I can't stop farting since eating a ham roll five years ago and my flatulence even wakes me up, says Dad. Says Dad. <laughs> says Dad, as he sues for 200 grand. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow. A, da- <laughs> a dad who claims he cannot stop blowing off after eating a ham roll in 2017 has launched a legal bid for £200,000. Tyrone Prades, right, 46, says the snack sparked life-changing flatulence, <laughs> which wakes him at night and, and embarrasses him in public. Wow. The flooring. Go on. Just own it. <laughs> hey, it's not me. It's the, it's the ham roll from 2017. Yeah, yeah get a t shirt made. <laughs> uh, this doesn't seem physically possible. I don't know. Unless the, the ham roll was so riddled with, <laughs> with like, bacteria that it, it drastically altered his, his biome. His gut biome. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's find out. The flooring company boss had severe tummy ache within hours of eating at a Christmas market, then was bed-bound for five weeks, his lawyers have told the High Court. He and others who ate at the same stall were said to have been infected with salmonella. Mr. Prady's ordeal began when he visited the market in Birmingham with his wife and children in December 2017. Within hours of eating a ham roll, he had stomach cramps, fever, vomiting and diarrhoea, the court heard. His lawyer, Robert Parkins, said he was sick for months and was still flatulent five years on, with churning noises in his gut. He went on, The claimant continues to suffer from excessive flatulence, which causes him... A great deal of embarrassment. The symptoms are primarily fatigue and altered bowel function associated with churning within his abdomen and flatulence. The claimant's stomach continues to make frequent churning noises to the extent his sleep can become disrupted. Mr. Parking claimed the ham hock had been contaminated with salmonella bacteria and other customers also fell ill. Right. 
So has he got any, has he corroborated his story with these other customers? Probably. Well, I don't know. The barrister... Isn't there a class action lawsuit going on? Yeah, maybe he was the only one affected to that extent. Mm, Possibly. Um, The extent of the symptoms have been life-changing. He said the stall was closed and deep cleaned following Public Health England investigation. So there's some corroboration. Mr. Prades of Chippenham, Wiltshire, is suing the operator, Frankfurt Christmas Market Limited, for at least £200,000. It denies blame. Its barrister, Philip Davey, admitted council environmental health officers found E. coli on a knife, but not salmonella. Oh. And he pointed out that Mr. Prades had not claimed he suffered an E. coli infection. <laughs> oh, technicality. Yeah. Right <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You got nothing on us, punk. <laughs> the allegation the bat was contaminated with salmonella bacteria is not admitted and must be proved. The case will now go to trial. Our, our court settlement, I predict, 75 quid. He's happy. Continues fighting away. I certainly wouldn't ask him to fit a carpet in my ass. 75 quid? Yeah. <laughs> no, just, in fact, less than that. Just the price of the uh, the roll... Plus inflation. He <laughs> got more than that from the Daily Mirror for the article. Ah, I was in the mirror. Yeah. The mirror. Yeah. I mean, let's um let's take a break, give you nowadays. <laughs> I don't know what the mirror would pay for a for a flatulence story. What do you reckon? Five hundred quid? Uh, uh inflation, a thousand. Really? <laughs> yeah. Surely. Yeah, no. 500 quid don't buy many ham hock rolls. I wonder what boring stories I've got. <coughs> I think uh, Matt Apocalypse is onto something. This trial could be the next big Netflix series. Absolutely, yeah. Making of a ham dude. roll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sort of a, a few good men. Yeah. Would it, would it be a dramatization like a few good men? I think it was, yeah, courtroom drama. Did the knife have E. coli on it? No. Did it? Yeah, it did. But you can't handle the truth. Someone else, man. <laughs> I think. Um, or would I it be a right. true? Or would it be a true crime doc- documentary? Uh, it might be like um, Tiger King <laughs> style. <laughs> Never watched that. Did you watch it? I watched it, yeah, but only because I. Oh, your audio's gone. <coughs> he pressed I'm the. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I pushed a button. Yeah, you know me. I, I get swept up by the hype. I love it. It's fine. You only live once. <laughs> did Did he die, the Tiger King man? No, he's in prison. Oh. Something to do with Baskin and Robbins. I don't know. <laughs> But yeah, it was, uh, it was, I don't know, I can't, I can't even remember it. There was tigers in it. Uh, it was a bit weird. And there was uh, no Game of Thrones. Oh, well, that, that tailed off, didn't it? Yeah, it's coming back, though. Oh, really? The prequel mm. thing? The spin-off. Uh, House of the Dragon, yeah, with uh, Matt Smith. Ugh. As Damon Targaryen. He's in it. <laughs> Yeah, with long flowing hair. 
I uh, he reminds me of like uh, there's something about his face that looks like a like a like an old school pump from the eighties. He's he has got a very interesting set of facial features. I noticed that when he was in Doctor Who. I feel like he might have been designed by Nick Park. <laughs> what jeez. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's just got a very it's striking. It's got a striking look. I am not having a go at him. I no. feel I, I, I feel sorry for him because um what's it is um is Doctor Who uh, co-star Karen Gillan. Oh yes. Um, who who is Neb- Nebula in the Avengers films. Uh, Matt Smith weren't interested in doing any Marvel stuff and and Karen Gillan was uh, influential in talking him around saying it's brilliant it's a great experience you need to get in on this. He turned down Marvel stuff before. Yeah. And he finally she finally persuaded him and then he, he took the role in Morbius which is the the turdest film ever. <laughs> Having the Batman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, he did. So, uh, I don't know. Who else, who else is going to be in Game of Thrones, the prequel? I, I only recognise Matt Smith because of his face. Uh, don't know who else is in it. When's it coming out? End of August. I think two weeks before the Lord of the Rings sequel, prequel comes out. I'm probably not going to be able to watch this. Is it on, going to be on Sky? Uh, HBO, so yeah, it'll be on Now TV. Or, or, you know, or Sky, yeah. Um, and then the other one is Amazon, isn't it? Yeah, I'm getting rid of Amazon. I'll watch them all. Getting They've rid of Prime. Up, I've made a decision, I'm getting rid of Prime. Oh, yeah. Are you going to get your next day deliveries? I'm not. I'm going to wait a day. Just buy from uh, AliExpress and wait three months, if you're lucky. Like, when I think about how often I use the next day thing, just uh, just be better organised. Oh, I'll tell you what, they're putting the price up, that's why, as well. Yeah, 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 it's going up, yeah. I'm going to be uh, utilising some student loan privileges soon. <laughs> What's that mean? My uh, my wife has just been well. She's doing a PhD, so she should have seven years of um, student discount. All <laughs> so, oh, right, you get a discount if you do that. Well, she will. So uh, yeah, and I'll just uh, leech off that and watch the uh, watch the telly. Well, you get a yellow card for yellow card pubs. Oh, unfortunately, not. No, right? do I've still got a yellow card somewhere. It's probably expired. I reckon it. I reckon it will have. Can I get cheap tickets for ropes? <laughs> no one knows what we're talking about. <laughs> no, they don't. They're very niche. We used to go to a, a pub um, almost every day <laughs> and drink to excess and then go to a nightclub. And you had to have a, a yellow card to get a discount, discounted drinks at this pub if you were a filthy student, which most of us were. Uh, so it, yeah, that was that boring. Was it not nationwide the yellow card scheme? Yeah, was it? Yeah, it was the what was the pubs called? Not Mean Fiddler. That was the that was the Leeds Festival. Uh, it's the scream. It's the scream. That's it. Yeah, Edvard Monk. Yeah, it's the scream. So they they were like, well, were the spoons were. 
with a really old crusty man with bad flatulence. So that's where we go now. That's where we go now, yeah. Um, but um, when we were youthful and exuberant, we were uh, we were all going to these yellow pubs nationwide, like you say. Yeah, <sighs> good times. I pretty much drunk my body weight in Doom Bar this, this week. I can't, I can't drink anymore. It's going to be interesting when we go to this beer festival. Why can't you drink? I just... I, I don't do enough of it, and I've come to... Uh, <laughs> oh, no, I thought you'd, you'd made taking, like, holy orders or something. Mm. Yeah, so I've got a, a beer festival coming up next week uh, that I'm supposed to be going to, and I'm not going to be able to drink much at all, so it's going to be a complete waste. Just do so. halves. You do halves at a beer festival. Yeah, you get you get you have to buy a certain bucket a number of tickets in a book though. So I'm just going to be like, uh, I'll spend this and then I'll have them all left over or to give them to someone else. Yeah, they do it right. It's like uh, I went to um, the holiday park we were at last week had a fair in it, mm. and you have to buy tokens for, uh, for, and then pay tokens for the dodgings and the roller coaster and stuff like that. So yeah, it's fiat currency. Fucking hell, you don't realise what you're spending. No, like uh, four quid to get a Dodgem car. That's sick. Yeah, no. Tell you what, though, the uh, petrol go karts were good. They must cost more being petrol. <laughs> For uh, uh, my ten-year-old in his car and me and the six-year-old in a two-seater because he can't reach yeah. the pedals was sixteen pounds. Holy shit. He didn't get to keep the go-kart afterwards. No. It's worth it, though. I, I destroyed them. Crushed them. Excellent. And uh, six-year-old loved it. Very good. Very good. So, shall we move on? Yep. Housekeeping. Housekeeping. a value for value podcast if you find this podcast valuable please consider returning some value and there's a myriad of ways of doing this and my favorite as ever is word of mouth you know what i like well buying physical tangible shit from a shop that has our logo on it that you can wear to work well you're in luck because there's how would i how would i get that there's such a thing called the amish loot chest and there's a link. loot chest. Yeah. But, but Phil, I hear loot chests are bad. <laughs> Why is that? Because it's it's all the kids have to spend all the parents' money to get to get these extras for their games. Yeah, loot chests. Yeah. So are you, are you saying this is different to one of those? No. Much better, in fact. <laughs> no, no, no. Listeners, go to your mum and dad and say, "I need, <laughs> I need fifteen pounds for an Amish Inquisition pint glass." <laughs> <laughs> with a rude sketch on a bacon nuts <laughs> mug bacon nuts yeah you can uh, there's a link in the show notes for that if you want to support us that way by uh, buying some merch we've got the hoodies available and t-shirts mm-hmm. um, 
all very in joke, in joke orientated, aren't they? Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah, people are going to have no idea what you're on about, like that. But you will, and that's what's important. Why and you t- tell them? Why does your t-shirt say "current grape" on it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, well, then you can explain the the etymology of selling insects. Entomology, etymology. Behind the T-shirt and uh, and spread the good word of the uh, the Amish Inquisition podcast. Say, Current stick this grape. in your ear holes. Current grape. Yeah, literally communist hoodies. Literally. Imagine the comments you'll get wearing a current grape T-shirt. Current grape. Yeah, they mostly would be her. <laughs> What? Have you uh, have you ever had anyone come up to you and comment on a t-shirt you were wearing? A stranger? Uh, no, don't think so. Wow. I, I have I have uh, my favourite t-shirt. One of my favourite t-shirts is a, a, a like a sky blue raccoons t-shirt. You remember the eighties uh, cartoons? Yes. Yep. The raccoons. Yep. <laughs> And I took it on holiday with me this week. I wore it during one afternoon and one evening. Mm. And both days, a total stranger commented on my T-shirt. Wow. And I don't think I can wear it for eight hours without bumping into someone who says something about the T-shirt. That's quite a good way to make friends. And it got me thinking, like, how many people see the T-shirt and don't come up to me and say something? But want to. Think about the happiness I'm spreading. It's it's almost infinite. Yeah. <laughs> and you could join in that by wearing your own baffling T-shirt from the Amish Legion. <laughs> what else can you can You can join the Discord. You can join the Discord. I'm on there. Phil's on there. Amish Matt's on there. I am very prolific on the Discord. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that's the best place to send us um, links, links for videos uh, or news articles, audio clips. Thanks to everyone suggestions. who guest suggestions. There's a thread there. And as demonstrated tonight, we implement them because Ralph was a guest suggestion from the Discord channel and it was a major Absolutely. hit. So, um, yeah, Discord is, is where it's happening. Thanks for everyone who sent links for stuff this week. I've just been too ill to uh, do any pre-production. Um, Down with the sickness. Yeah, so normal service will be resumed next week. Uh, artwork, you can give us show artwork. Mm-hmm. Oh, fuck. Mm-hmm. We're not going to <laughs> We have, but I haven't, um, what do you call it? I haven't uploaded it. Onto um, onto OBS. Could you describe it to us in great detail? <clears throat> or I could just be super quick. Oh, and do it now. That's good. Okay, I'm making it bigger for you. That's oh, that's a winged serpent. That's a that's a depiction of Adam and Eve. It's from a cathedral in the UK on a on a, a, ch- a cathedral ceiling from the UK. There's Adam and Eve and the serpent and the tree with the fleur de lis, mushroom looking things. 
And uh, Blimey. we've got some uh, just some hieroglyph, just ge- generic hieroglyph background. So you know, I thought I thought that's all right. I had to knock it up when I was ill today. It's pretty good. Do you carve them yourself? Yeah, no. yeah, with yeah. with copper chisels. Right, because that's how it's done in the Copper Age. All right? <laughs> the, chalc- the Chalcolithic. <laughs> copper Age. The Cthulhu. Um, what else can you do? Um, Focus Chi. Oh, yeah. This is like the most underused service we provide on the Discord. It is, and it's our most successful service. Yeah, if you have uh, if you have some difficulties, maybe health related difficulties, job related difficulties, uh, maybe having to revise for an exam or some uh, what do they call it CPD, some con- yeah, continuing professional development. Yeah, yeah. Um, pop a request in the Discord or uh, email us at uh, email us at the Arms Inquisition at gmail dot com, and we will focus our chi in your direction. We are verified chi masters. Are you you're talking to someone here, Phil, who has has uh, has been verified as having excellent chi energy flow by my Tai Chi uh, master, Master Bill? Well, uh, funny you should mention Lee. We didn't. I didn't even think of this, but Lee from the Big Conspires just uh, in the chat said you should knock out some focus chi for yourself, Phil. All right, yeah, we should do that. I'm not sure it works like that. Uh, let's give it a go. Eyes down, look in. We have to do each other. It's not. It's it's not just you and me. It's everyone listening. It's communal. So you're going to receive cheat. Yeah, you have to change the polarity, though, don't? Yeah, suck. <laughs> I need to change from blow to suck. <laughs> I, need to, I need to suck up all your chi out there. Right. You ready? Okay, cool. Yep. Go easy on me. I think I'll be fine by the morning. That's well, there you go. Thank you everyone for uh for that. I can't believe, I still can't believe that's not Eric Carmen from South Park. At the end of that uh, little bit of tunage. Oh, it's just a random guy in Taiwan, I think. Yeah, I've seen the, vi- I've seen the video. It's a Hong Kong guy, isn't it? Was he Hong Kong? I think he was Hong Kong, yeah. Could be. Yeah. Yeah, was Could it be. Was it around the time of the student protests? I think everyone was protesting, weren't they? I was in Hong Kong when there was uh, there was policemen on the streets with batons and roaming. Mm. Lots of graffiti that um, I didn't see. Yeah, there's been some interesting developments with China and uh, Russia and I think Iran as well, maybe India. All right. Uh, maybe, the uh, axis of evil. <laughs> I just haven't had... Oh, I should say as well, the week I've been away, I've had, had no internet connection. Ah, oh, how has that been for you? Um, fine. Good. Fine, it's just I'm out of the loop. But, um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'd know 4G, but I, I did see a story that there, those countries may be trying to set up a alternative reserve currency to the dollar. All right. Which would end 
the financial system as we know it globally. Something to look out for. Yeah, I mean... Maybe we'll cover it next week once we've had time to do some due diligence and research on the topic. Yeah, I think very good. Well, yeah, we'll look out for that. Mm. Uh, what's the um, best way to become a producer? I mean, it's just direct injection of, of uh, stable currency. Toss a coin. Toss us a coin. Do it for the lads. 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 Because? Oh, we're northern and we're bloody miserable and the weather's fucking shit. Fuck Jane, Silent Bob. Fuck them up their stupid asses. Yeah, if you go to uh, thearmistinquisition.com, you'll find the PayPal button there and you can give us a one-off donation or sign up for a recurring sustaining donation. Help us pay the bills and keep our heads above water in these times of financial uncertainty. Absolutely. It's always pleasant to see... uh see the message that someone has sent us um you know some money for a coffee it's it's that appreciation that is um it really drives drives the show warms our hearts i mean it gives us a reason to keep going for yeah. one it's like you feel obligated if people are supporting you on a monthly basis then you know i you know before a few years ago we wouldn't be podcasting tonight i'd have phoned in sick I said, no, I'm tired, I'm fucked, I can't be bothered, I'll cancel the guest, you know, we'll do it another day, we'll do it next, we'll fuck it off for this week. But uh, you you do feel a bit of an obligation when people are donating every month, so, Mm. it's yeah, it's nice to see. Only you you fuckers out there can... Save Blockland! And keep this shit show going. Have we done five years yet, Phil? It's coming up in the beginning of September. Oh, excellent. Maybe we should do something for five years. We should. Years. Remember last time we tried to do something better? What was that? We got, we got that mariachi band on or whatever. We opened up the Zoom. We posted the Zoom link on Twitter thinking, well, no one's going to see this. And it was an absolute shit show. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, we'd have to... Um, I don't know. We'll talk about it later. Maybe we could open yeah. up the uh, open it up to the Discorders. If yeah, they want definitely. To ju- yeah, jump yeah. in and just not have a de- guess, but just uh, like put the um, put the Zoom meeting stuff in uh, in the Discord if people want to jump in and say hello. Yeah, that sounds a good idea. I'll commit to that now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll 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 have a thing. What we're going to do? Because I don't know. Yeah. I don't even know if we booked anyone now. Ah, uh, what day? September. I don't know. We'll we'll discuss uh, offline. Yeah. We'll do some blue sky thinking. Yeah, get, a, the, uh, get a helicopter view of the situation in the AGM. Yeah. <laughs> right then. Well, what I did remember to do was get the list of producers at least. So let's thank them. Oh, my Jake. Let's thank the producers for episode two four one. It's time. It's time to big up the man Dems. Yo, we've got uh, Nick. Rona Kesson and um, the usual Discord crew Slicko Helen Kelly BC Lee Zach sorry if I missed anyone uh, so amazing yeah they are so amazing aren't they mm. they are yeah so amazing and they're Literally. 
love, literally. The best mate. I'm literally a communist. The dwarf. The carrots. The grape. The homophobe. The winds. The asthma. The grandpa. Crunch. The number 11. The blind man. The fallen on the horizon. The cripple. And the mother of... Money bickering! From hell. I don't get it. Never will. Thanks for your support for another week. Mm. Happy birthday, Hugh Janus. Oof. Whose birthday is it? What you need to do with the dessert spoon is put it in a bowl <laughs> of warm water as well before you shove it up your ass. I don't know. Is it, is it anyone's birthday? I don't know. Is it Matt's birthday? Is it Matt's birthday? Day of July, 2022. I don't know. It's a bit early for Matt's birthday, isn't it? It is a bit early. I am going Maybe, to be. Uh... <laughs> Sorry? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> I am going to aim for the prostate in the men. <laughs> I am not gay. I am going to aim for the prostate in the men. Anyway. Ontology. Yeah. Good. Yeah, thanks for your support for another week. It's uh, much appreciated. Yeah. Well, I'm... Uh, I'm, 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 I'm on your ass. I'm the son of the Pope. I'm the son of the Pope. And I'm fading. I think we're going to have to wrap up. Let's let's do that and uh, try not to kill over before next week. That cheese is going to hit me hard in the next uh, twelve hours. Oh, she? Yeah. We asked for focused cheese. That's on its way. Big wheels. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Get off with your cheese. <laughs> no, I think I'm going to make a... Oh, I, I, I was, I'm going to be like Lazarus. Right? Just die. <laughs> <laughs> the raising. The raising of Lazarus. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Gonna get that chi juice shot at me. Just uh, shoot the juice to me, Bruce. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Yeah. Well, should we sign off then? Yeah, let's knock it on the head. Right. I hope I hope someone aimed that chi at my prostate. I am gonna aim for the prostate in the men. <laughs> wow, I mean the context is necessary. <laughs> so <Asna>. necessary. <laughs> I am going to aim for the prostate in the men. Right. It's uh, beautiful. Yeah, let's go. Yes. Goodbye, everybody. Enjoy your respective weeks. Open your legs wider. Open your legs wider. Asna. I am going to aim for the prostate in the men. Open your legs wider. Oh dear, he's not going to come back, is he? (laughs) (laughs) Right, see you next week. Bye! Thank you for watching. And I got news for you. That means you're gay. Party Central. Are you not entertained?
I love you. Head out to fucking you. Don't you take it out, Ed? My name is Evan. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. It is bonkers.